Oh, Heavenly Father, we're so blessed to be a part of the greater body of Christ, and we know that gathered together all around us uh, this morning are believers, uh, but also gathered together all around this city, there are people who are worshiping you. Oh, Lord, what a pleasure it must be for you in heaven to, to look down and see these places dotting the map uh, that are lifting up praises to your name, who are honoring your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, this morning, Lord, I would pray specifically for Northwoods Presbyterian Church, just down the road for us. Uh, but Lord, they are a church who loves you and who loves your word. Uh, Lord, I would pray uh, for Pastor Milan there as he leads that church, he leads that ministry, Lord, that you would uh, bless him, that you would bless his family, that you would bless that church through him. Uh, Lord, I would pray that that church would grow in their knowledge and understanding of your son, Jesus Christ, that they would comprehend more and more just how much it is you love them. Uh, Father, we pray that they would be uh, actively finding people who need to hear the gospel uh, bringing them in so that they can hear the gospel, that they can be saved. Uh, Lord, we also are thankful for uh, the missions groups that we get to support this morning for Child Evangelism Fellowship, uh, such an active role in our community in uh, leading young people to Christ, whether it's their camps or their VBSs or their after-school clubs or their backyard Bible clubs. Uh, Lord, it's the uh, Christian Youth in Action training that they do as well for teenagers. Uh, Lord, I would pray that you would continue to protect that ministry, that they would continue to have uh, at least some access to the schools, that they would continue to have uh, a group of young people who would grow up into leadership there, uh, that those leaders would then be able to uh, recognize a, a future calling for their life. Uh, Lord, would you protect Duane and his family as well, that sometimes being in ministry can wear a family down? Uh, Lord, that you protect them from that. Lord, we pray for our own church and we pray for the Stephen ministry, Lord. I'm thankful for uh, this group of people who's dedicated probably more training time than any other ministry in our church, uh, definitely more training time than any other ministry in our church, Lord. I pray that as they have gone through this training, uh, you will continue to give them opportunities to minister to other people in the church who are, who are hurting, who need somebody to, to sit with them and to listen to them and to care for them. Uh, Lord, I would pray as well that... Uh, uh, those who are in our church who are hurting and discouraged and lonely uh, would find uh, a chance to speak to Pastor Tom to see if there's somebody there that can just be there with them in, in their difficult times. Uh, Lord, we would pray this morning for the sermon. Uh, your word is always powerful. It's mighty. Uh, Lord, it's going to do work in the hearts of your believers. Every time it goes out, it never returns void. Uh, this morning, I would pray, uh, as your word goes out, that you would use it to heal relationships, that you would use it to uh, lead us to the places of repentance, Lord. Uh, if there's anybody here who doesn't know your son, Jesus Christ, this morning, that they would come to know you in, in some way through the preaching of your word, that this would be one more seed planted or another seed watered, that it might even be a seed that's to be harvested today. Uh, but Lord, would you open up your word to us? Would you allow your Holy Spirit who dwells within us, who believe, who's in our midst today, who's in our presence, uh, to be our teacher, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, James is the book that we find ourselves in. The theme for the book is Saving Faith Always Works. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, someone will bring one to you. Uh, I just want to do a quick checkup on our homework. I've been doing uh, these little homework assignments for you every week. And uh, homework is great, but as I learned in high school, is if nobody ever checks your homework, then nobody ever does their homework, and that's the way that works out. Uh, and so, well, not nobody. Sheila would do her homework anyway, but I would not have done my homework uh, if nobody was checking it or giving me a grade. So 
Uh, the things we ask every week is, have you, is to share a conversation with somebody about the sermon. So just a quick show of hands. If you had a chance in the last week, and I'm not looking for every hand to go up. I'm just curious if anybody is even catching this idea. If you had a chance to talk about James 3, last week's passage, uh, with anybody in the last week, just go ahead and raise your hand. All right, now I'm feeling good. Now I'm ready to preach. This is working. This is good stuff. Whew. And that was also a scary moment because no hands could have gone up. And then I would be like, well, just read it yourself. You'll figure it out. <laughs> Uh, then the other thing we ask each week is that you read through the passage. So we're going to be in James 4. So hopefully in the last week, you got a chance to read James 4. Did anybody get a chance to read James 4? Did anybody read it more than once? Ooh, more than three times? Wow. Did anybody read it every day? Whoa, that's impressive. All right. Uh, anybody memorize a verse from James 4? James, yeah, wait, 4? Yes, anyone? A couple, a couple memorized? Nice. You notice my hand was down because I suddenly can't remember if I was supposed to memorize James 3 or James 4. Um, but anyway, it's James 4.17. Uh, to him who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. But uh, as we get into James 4 this week, uh, it, it really is an interesting passage uh, it does connect to the greater theme of the book, but you can also teach it kind of as a standalone. It almost has its own feel to it. Really what's happening in James, he's continually bringing up this concept of if you have a saving faith, it will always lead to some sort of work or some sort of activity in your life, that the fruit of your saving faith will always be works. And one of the works he's going to talk about specifically today uh, are going to lead to submitting yourself to God. If I were to rephrase this week's chapter, uh, it would just be this, that saving faith submits to God. That's what saving faith will do. Now he's going to use various ways to illustrate that and to bring that out, but probably most powerful in this chapter is the question that he asks right at the beginning there, uh, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Now I'm just going to share real quick a bit of wisdom that I've gained that was really hammered home as I read through the rest of the passage. It's something I've learned just through time. Uh, but one of the things that was actually quite disturbing for me to figure this out early on in my life, uh, that when I looked at every single difficulty that it comes to a relationship struggle, every conflict I'd ever had with anybody in my life, when I looked at those things, all of them had one thing in common. Me. I was involved in every single one of those conflicts. It didn't matter how I looked at it. I had responsibility, and I could look at it and say, this person has a responsibility, this has a person has a responsibility, but I can't change anything about those people. All I could handle is how I respond to that. That's how this chapter reads. This is a reminder as we go through this that that's the real source there. The source of the problems, it's you. You're the source of your problems. You'll see this kind of hammered home as we go through this. Uh, but I started circling the words you and your in this chapter. And I stopped at the end of verse 3 because I had just made a mess of my Bible at that point. Just over and over and over throughout this passage, there's this reminder there of this source of quarrels and conflicts among you. So what we're going to do, we're going to take this chapter a little bit different. Normally I take it in little bitty bite-sized chunks and we work through it. This time I'm going to read through the whole thing we're going to then go back through the whole thing and look at the source of our quarrels, uh, but then we're also going to look through it a second time and look for the cure to our quarrels and our struggles. And so uh, listen as I read this in James chapter 4. We'll start in verse 1 because it's first. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? 
Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But against the law, uh, but if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do, and does not do it, to him it is sin. Well, as you read through this, you're going to find actually these kind of long lists of things that really become the, the issue that lead to the conflicts that we have as people, these struggles that we might have with one another. We're going to have these conflicts between us. Uh, there's kind of long lists of those things in there. There's a number of things listed, but I'm going to give you what I think is just kind of the key one that all the others hang on. When I read through this, when I listen through what I'm uh, hearing here, this is what it all comes down to to me. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Uh, It's wrong motives. It's the wrong motives. Now, he's going to mention that specifically in the idea of prayer. But when you look at the other things that he's going to list there, each one of them is a reflection of what goes on in your heart, what is your desire, what it is you want, what's motivating you in your life. The things that motivate you in your life can be powerful and helpful, but when you find someone else who brings a conflict to your motives, that creates this struggle between you, these quarrels, or war, as he even gets to the point of saying at one place. It's this quarrel and this conflict among you. It comes from these motives that become conflicting. And the real issue there of the motives is my motives are almost always selfish and self-focused. And 
The people I'm in conflict, their motives are almost always selfish and self-focused. And so we have two people who are motivated by making themselves happy, by pleasing themselves, by getting what they want. And from time to time, those two motives conflict with one another. And now we've got a fight. Now we've got a problem. Now, he's going to describe that in greater detail as he goes through this. Uh, But just look at this list that he makes here uh, as as we start to kind of look back through the passage to kind of see what some of those motives are. Uh, I've I've listed them out here for you. But the wrong motives, your pleasure, your lust, you're the one who commits murder. You are envious. You fight and quarrel. You do not ask. You do ask, but you do it with wrong motives. You adulteresses, which really goes down in this case, he's going to talk about a friendship with the world instead of with God. And then he gets into you judge and then you boast. Again, it's those selfish motivations, those things that keep drawing us into conflicts. It's I want, I need, and this person is in my way. This person is slowing the path to me getting what it is I want. When we look at that list there, uh, we have to remember that there is this battle going on within our soul, that we have built within us the way God has designed us. We have fleshly desires, and because we're in Jesus Christ, we now have spiritual desires. And those two things are always at odds with one another, that are constantly struggling with one another. When we choose those fleshly desires, when we begin to seek after those things that are all about what makes me happy, that's when we start to find ourselves being more self-focused and more likely to be in a fight. Now, I don't want to make that uh, sound uh, too overly self-deprecating. I don't disagree with the fact that sometimes other people do things to you that are sinful. That is absolutely true. But in every one of those circumstances, you're still responsible for your response. In every one of those circumstances. So if somebody's mistreating you, if somebody's misrepresented you, lied about you, in all of those things, the part that you're responsible is not their actions. You're not responsible for their actions. You can't do anything about those. You can only be responsible for your response in those things. So even if you're the innocent party, you can find yourselves getting involved in these quarrels that you don't need to be a part of just because you're trying to fight your battle, defend yourself. Now, I'm not asking you to be somebody that just lays down and gives up either. That's not what I'm asking you to do. We'll see how James is going to approach this coming forward here. But we kind of look back at some of these things. Uh, Again, verse 1 Uh, What is the source of the quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have. So you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. He just begins to list these things out. And it all goes back to this idea of these pleasures that are waging war within you. And I think some of you can even identify that in yourself, that there are things that you know uh, that maybe you shouldn't do or things that you shouldn't do to excess. That's my uh, wife's favorite reminder to me that we can do quite a few things if we do them in moderation. There's a lot of things that aren't sinful uh, if, you, if you do them in moderation. Uh, but sometimes when you take, and really anything that you take to in excess becomes quite sinful. Of course, she's usually talking about some sort of food consumption in my life. 
But let's be fair, it could be TV as well, right? There's just a number of things that in and of itself, eating is not bad, right? But eating to excess, it slowly becomes sinful. If you eat in moderation, it's not sinful. The same thing comes, you have this constant battle in yourself where you just want more, 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 more. It's these pleasures, it's these desires within you, the things that you want, and it's creating this war within you. And when you have a war going on inside of you and somebody then stands in front of you, they now become the target of the anger and the angst that's built up inside of your body. And you find yourself lashing out at somebody who sometimes isn't even really the problem. The problem is often right here in your heart, the conflict that's already going on inside you. I can tell you that this has happened to me more than once. Uh, I am typically very good at not showing my emotions. And so I can uh, go through a day and have all kinds of terrible things happen through the day. And I'll be like, okay, that's a situation. We're going to deal with that. We're not going to overreact. We're going to handle this well. Everything's going to go good. And then I get home and, you know, somebody doesn't take out the trash. Next thing you know, I'm yelling at the trash can. Did I really handle my emotions? Not really. I didn't really deal with the conflicts that were going within me. I wasn't really dealing with all the actual problems. There was this war going on and it became evident by the outbursts that came at the oddest of times. To be honest with you, the trash can is the least important, most, the least important thing in my life. But now all of a sudden I've got to empty the trash can and I'm going to take it all the way outside And I'm just so exhausted from all the stuff that was going on all day. It's just not fair that I should have to take it out. You know whose fault it is? It's those children you gave me. (laughs) They're the ones that make all the trash. They're the ones that should have noticed that it was overflowing. Whoever put that last thing in so that the lid doesn't close, it's their fault. And it just kind of bubbles up. And before you know it, you're having a conflict with somebody over the dumb garbage can. Who cares? Take it outside. It takes two minutes. In Wyoming, it might blow you over in the process because of the wind. It is a little bit of a hassle. I get that. But what's happening is your desires to not have to do anything to not have to deal with anything, have just come in conflict with your realities. This war within you, it comes flooding out of you in inopportune times. It's it's your own pleasures that are waging war in you. It's your lust. I want this. I don't have it. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it. Now, I don't think many of you have gone to the point of committing murder to get the things that you want. I think he's intentionally using hyperbole here. He's intentionally building it up bigger, but you can see ultimately that really is where that kind of comes down to. Uh, If I were to spend a little time talking to people who have murdered somebody, my guess in many instances, you would find that the source of that murder was they wanted something and they couldn't have it. Or that person had something that they couldn't have. It's just one of those sources. It just leads to this. It's this downward spiral where your emotions, your needs, your pleasures now become more important than everybody else's. Can I tell you this? This is what happens in good marriages. 
when two people who committed to love one another sacrificially begin to focus on their own needs instead of the need of their spouse, it breaks down that relationship into a struggle, into a conflict, into a war in your home. And I get it. It's really hard because if I back down and she doesn't back down, now I'm losing. (laughs) That's not fair. There's some interesting things, though, about that. Number one, just as a side note, husbands, you said when you got married that you would surrender everything to her. I didn't think that meant the remote. There's a surrender there. You're going to submit your whole life to the point of death. Now, in a Christian home, what typically will happen, I can just tell you from experience, what typically will happen is if one side backs down, the other side will oftentimes back down. There's value in that. It doesn't always work. Sometimes it takes longer than you would like. But be first. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Not blessed are those who did the victory dance at the end. It was blessed are the ones who took that step towards peace. It's this pleasures, these lusts that lead us to do these things. It's the envy within us when we see our neighbor who has something that we don't like. And so we just decide, well, that's a nice car, but it won't be as nice when I run my key along the side. You're saying that because none of you have ever done that, right? That's why you're so shocked. I actually know people who have got their cars keyed. There's no reason for it. It's just envy in somebody's heart. It leads, it's what's in us that leads to these quarrels, that leads to these conflicts. You fight and you quarrel. He points it out to maybe put it in a little more scriptural way, to maybe put it into a sense of this idea of being in prayer. Sometimes you don't have the things you want because you just don't ask God for them. Because you have this mindset that I can do anything I want to do and I can do it on my own and I don't need any help. I'm strong and I'm tough and I'm powerful and I'm empowered. And my mom told me since I was a kid I could be anything and do anything I want. She didn't say I'd ask God first, so I'm just going to do anything and be anything I want. And then you don't achieve it. Why didn't you achieve it? You didn't ask the God who is the giver of good gifts, according to James chapter 1. Another reason you ask sometimes and you don't get what you want, it goes right back to our motives. We want to fulfill our pleasures. We don't want to fulfill the desire of God. I love uh, Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus is explaining how to pray. It's called the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. Thy kingdom, thy will. It's the motives of your heart praying selfishly for things. This is what causes problems. Well, he ultimately calls us adulteresses because we've chosen a friendship with the world Instead of a friendship with God, in verse 4, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
Do you not think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which He's made to dwell in us. But He gives a greater grace. That's really the heart of the issue. You are indwelling, living within you is the Holy Spirit of God. That's the Spirit that God desires. But when you follow your spirit, your fleshly spirit, it creates this conflict now between you and God. It says here that your friendship with the world is actually hostility towards God. Uh, we keep going to look through this long list here of the diff- difficulties. In verse 11, it describes one of the other issues we have. It's that we're speaking against or judging other people. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. And there's only one lawgiver and judge, one who's able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? That's such an easy one to get drawn into. It's so easy to try to judge the motives of somebody else's life. What James is saying, focus on the motives of your life. Sometimes we see the actions of other people and we think we can diagnose because we have some supernatural ability that nobody else has to see into the depths of their heart, to understand the reality of their circumstances, that we know some special knowledge that tells us why they're doing the thing that they're doing. We don't. We are not that type of judge. Jesus said, do not judge lest thee be judged. He said, judge yourself first. Again, it's going back to your motives. It's examining your motives, not their motives. It's their responsibility to judge their motives and they'll be held responsible for them. You're only responsible for your motives. That's the reality of this. And then the last thing I would add to this is this arrogance, this boastfulness, this presumption that he has here. Uh, He describes it in verse 13 through the end of the chapter there. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. You don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or this. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. There is this presumptuous nature about us, where we think we have more control than we actually do. We might have control over what we do. We have no control over how anything or anyone reacts to us. This is why I uh, do not enjoy political news shows. I just don't enjoy them. Uh, Back in the day, here's Walter Cronkite. He's got a piece of paper he read, this person did this today. In other news, this other person did this today. And that was the news, right? Now, something happens over here, and because we have to fill 24 hours of airtime and no more news has happened. We have to talk about this thing for an hour and a half. And I'm supposed to believe that this person knows the geopolitical atmosphere of the entire planet better than anybody else because he has a journalism degree, maybe. Or because he was handsome enough to get on TV. 
or because she just looks right and can talk in such a way. Man, it's so exhausting. Watch this. This will happen any time, and it doesn't matter who the president is. This works every single time across the board. The president of the United States will do something, and then you will have hours upon hours upon hours of everybody explaining why it was wrong and how it's going to turn out. And then there's no accountability when it doesn't happen that way because he's done something new that we can pick on for a while. We have no control. We have less control than we think we do. We're presumptuous to think these things. I will tell you this, you will not make many friends when you point those things out on Facebook. (laughs) For a while, I thought it was fun. So like, you know, uh, for instance, I'll just give you for instance, when President Trump was elected, there were all these things. Oh my goodness, the day after the stock market's going to crash. Nuclear war with Korea is within the year. All these things listed out. Boom, 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 boom. And so for a few people, I thought, hey, where's that stock market crash you were so proud of? Well, you just wait. (laughs) You're sitting at a computer in your mom's basement. What do you know about the stock market? (laughs) It's presumptuous to think you know anything. Like, if you think that you know more, take Iran. If you think you know more than the generals in the room, it doesn't matter who the president is, right? It doesn't, that's not my point. It doesn't matter. If you think you know more in Cheyenne, Wyoming, about what's going to happen when our military does something than the generals in the room do, you're presumptuous. You got a problem. You're the cause of the conflict. You are. Stay in your lane, control what you control, and what you can control is you. You can control your vote. You can control your voice. But don't pretend you know the future. You do not. You just don't. It doesn't work that way. We're presumptuous about the future. So what's the response to all of this? Wow, I spent too much time on our lusts. (laughs) So the response to all of this, I think, starts in verse 7. But again, it all goes throughout this. What is the cure for quarrels and conflicts among you? He says this in verse 7, Submit therefore to God. To me, although he's going to categorically talk about all different types of things in this chapter, the categorical number one way that we can deal with quarrels and conflicts among us is to submit to God. 100% submit therefore to God. When you surrender yourself to God, and we've all said, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, we've already said we've done this, right? We've confessed with our mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, which means he's the boss, which means my life now exists to do the things he wants us to do. So we're supposed to submit ourselves to God. When we do those things, our motivation changes to match his motivation and his purposes. Now, I want to tell you something. This is a little secret of this passage. There is no promise in here that you will never have quarrels. That's not what he's getting at. What he's getting at is, if you're a 
believer in Jesus Christ, who has faith in Jesus Christ, who submits themselves to God, you will now have the right quarrels. You won't be quarreling about your pleasures, your lusts, the things that you want, you're envious of. The quarrels now change. The things that will bring conflict into your life is when people are in conflict with God. Now, Jesus never promised us that the world's going to love us because we follow him, right? We were in the Gospel of John a few months back. What was it he promised us? They hated me. They're not going to be too fond of you either. So this isn't a promise that you'll no longer have quarrels. This is a promise that if you live a life of faith, the quarrels that you started, those are the ones that are going to end. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Now, he's going to describe that in a bunch of different ways in this passage. Firstly, in verse 7, submit yourself, therefore, to God by resisting the devil, and he will flee from you. Resisting Satan so that he will flee from you. A very big concept, but but understand that it is Satan who is the accuser of the brethren. He is the liar, the thief. He's constantly going about picking at things, trying to get fights going. One of the greatest things you can do to resist Satan is resist the urge to fight. Resist the urge to argue. Every time you do that, Satan goes, man, I was sure that was going to work. I thought all I had to do was to get this person over here to say the Broncos are miserable and Sean was going to be ready for a fight. But if Sean says, well, their record agrees with you, fight's off, right? (laughs) You don't have to follow every whim or emotion that you have. Your heart is deceitful. It leads you into all kinds of places that it shouldn't be leading you. Your heart has no brain. So I wouldn't do what it says. You don't have to engage in these things. A next thing is in verse 8 is to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I'm a firm believer that the way that we draw near to God is in prayer, in word, and in submission to him. As we submit, therefore, to God, As we pursue him in his word, he begins to reprogram us to think like him. As we pursue him in prayer, he begins to give us direction for our life. Resist Satan, draw near to God. This is how we find ourselves submitting to him. It's hard to submit to somebody you've never heard from, isn't it? If you don't ever hear from God in his word or in prayer, how is it you're going to do the things he's asking you to do? You have to draw near to him so that you can hear from him. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Now that sounds miserable, doesn't it? It sounds like we never get a laugh again. But is that what it's saying? No, it's all in this idea of cleansing your hands, of purifying your hearts. The thing that you mourn is your sin. When you find yourself avoiding or walking away from the will of God, doing the things that God hasn't asked you to do, it's in those moments that you submit yourself. It's in those moments that you confess those things as sin, and it's in those moments that you mourn and that you weep. 
Those are the moments that you do it. You don't have to live like that the rest of your life. I am convinced God created my laugher. Whatever that piece of my body is that creates laughing. God created that. He intends it to be used. But when there's sin in our life, there's no laughing matter. It's time to repent of those sins. It's time to mourn those sins. It's time to cleanse ourselves. All of that is submitting to God. That's what it looks like to confess your sins. And then verse 10, to humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. It's such a simple idea, but it's really, again, going back to this idea of submitting. I'm humbling myself. I'm I'm saying or I'm admitting this thing that is true. God's always right and I'm not. God's will is always better than my will. God's purposes are always higher than my purposes. It's a a reality check. It's, It's recognizing who you are to the infinite God. I am a finite human with finite abilities, with finite impact. I cannot do everything. I cannot think of everything. I cannot accomplish everything I want to accomplish. I'm not capable of that. But God is the exact opposite of me. He is all-powerful. He can accomplish anything he wants to accomplish. He's God. I'm not. Just continually reminding myself of those things. That's what it looks like to submit myself to God. It's giving up the idea of judging others and letting God be the judge. It is not my responsibility to tell everybody else in the world what's wrong with them. I might be very good at it, if given the chance, but it is not my job. It's just not my job. A lot of us would like to think it's our jobs, but it's not. All we can do is point people to the truth. All we can do is point people back to God or to the perfect example, Jesus Christ. That's all we can do. But I can't make them understand. I can't make them believe. And I can't make them change their actions just because I've spoken into their life. I have sat and presided over the case of your idiocy. And I have come to the judgment that you need this, this, or this in your life. Hey, if they didn't ask for it, they're not going to listen to it. It's just not your job. There's one judge. There's one lawgiver. We submit to that guy. And then the presumptuousness that says, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. The response that God has for us is this. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills wills. So I can say this, next week we're going to be in James chapter 5, if the Lord wills. The week after that, we're going to start the book of Revelation, if the Lord wills. You see, all kinds of things can happen between now and then. All kinds of things could happen. For all we know, some crazy event is going to happen on the planet, and we're going to have to address that scripturally. For all we know, uh, I could like, I mean, how does it say this here? You don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then blows away, I think is what it's trying to say in Wyoming. 
I could walk out that door and I could be blown all the way across the planet. I could be like, just blow past, past Nebraska. And there I am with no car. I don't know what's going to happen next week. I have no idea. Or I literally could vanish. What if the, what if the rapture happens this week? When we get up to heaven, we're like, uh, Pastor Sean promised us James 5 this week. <laughs> I know you have a lot to say, but if we could just kind of keep on schedule, that would be great. You have no control over us, so many things in your life. So you submit yourself to the God who is in control of all things. It's presumptuous to think you know the future. You can do your best. You can plan out your steps. But in the end, the Proverbs tells us God determines the outcome. So we do what we can do to be submitted to him in the moment. But in the end, we always have to be surrendered for his will in our life. And again, it goes back to that prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes we look at prayer uh, like we're Aladdin holding Genie's lamp. Like I got three wishes, he's got to give me just what I want. If I do this, God must do this, which makes us now in charge of God. And that's backwards. If I'm going to tell God what to do, that's backwards. I don't have the right to tell God what to do. But I have every right to ask God to express his will in everything that happens in my life. And so I've got a conflict in my life. I've got a struggle in my life. I'm at odds with somebody. I need to examine my own heart to make sure my motives are right. And then I go to my father and I say, Father in heaven, let your will be done in this circumstances. Father, solve this however you would choose to. But now I know I've taken my problem, I've put it in his hands, and I'm trusting in his outcome. I'm completely submitted to the future of whatever God plans for me. I don't know if you have uh, worriers in your life or are worriers, but everyone has them. There, there are just certain people that worry about everything. They just worry about everything. You ever had this? There, there's people like this in the world. I'm not naming any individuals, just so you know. But anytime you say you're going to go somewhere, well, oh my goodness, what if this happens? Well, oh my goodness, what if this happens? Now that's okay to a certain extent if they're saying, hey, make sure you have enough gas in your car. That's okay. But when it's kind of those out of control worries, like, whew, I, you're going to be driving somewhere and a, a semi is going to hit you. I just know it's going to happen. You don't know that. Shush, you don't know. Just worry about everything. They think of every possible bad thing that could ever happen to you. Might I suggest that they're, they're struggling to submit themselves to God? Wouldn't the question to be brought back to them, and it's going to sound mean, but if I decide to go somewhere and I'm driving and I get hit by a semi, And that's God's will for my life? Isn't that okay? 
I mean, I'm not asking you to take dumb chances, right? But I'm just saying, if that's, if that's God's will for my life, that's his will for my life. I always like to bring Hollywood into it <laughs> because as I have pointed out before, I watch too much TV. <laughs> but uh, there's this movie, I shouldn't even name it, but so I won't. But <laughs> in this movie... This guy's been kind of struggling with God, and then for a while, God lets him pretend that he is God for a while, and he kind of does things his own way, and all that messes up, and nothing's ever going right. And so here he is. He's just horrible. Everything's going wrong, and he finally goes, okay, God, whatever you want, and then he gets hit by a bus. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Yeah, whatever he wants. It's a submission, a complete and total submission. I was dealing with this this morning. As I was driving in, I was just kind of thinking through things, and we have kind of a busy year ahead of us. Uh, My wife and I have some travels planned, different mission trips, and different things like that going on. Our son graduates this year. Our daughter's intending to get married this year. That's what the proposal was all about, right? So all of this stuff is lined up, and I start thinking about all these things. I'm like, oh, man, what if I miss this? Oh, what if the rapture happens today? I don't even get to see my daughter get married. Oh man, what if, you know, and I thought all of a sudden I'm like driving, I'm like, dummy, if the rapture happens, I'm in heaven. Greatest wedding ceremony ever. The great wedding supper of the lamb. Chill out. Can we submit ourselves to God when we can be submitted to him? It doesn't solve all of our problems. It allows us to entrust him and to recognize that his will in the midst of our problems is better than anything that we would come up with. Because it's ultimately going to advance his kingdom so that his kingdom will come, so that his will will be done. That's the cure. Submit ourselves to him. Now, this is true whether you're a believer or not, by the way. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's obvious. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, can I tell you this? The number one thing that you can do in your life is submit yourself to Jesus Christ. To hand every one of your sins and every one of your problems over to Him. To recognize that apart from Him, you have no standing in the eyes of God. To surrender yourself to Him. And again, Romans 10.9, I repeat it often because it's still true. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, that means he's the boss. And believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead as an evidence, by the way, that he's going to someday resurrect us from the dead. The same God that had the power to resurrect Jesus has the power to resurrect us. We're told we will be saved. Submit yourself to God. Doug can go ahead and come on up here. I'll tell you next Sunday, James chapter 5. But if you get a chance this week, talk to somebody about James chapter 4. Talk to them. When you find somebody that's in a struggle, in a conflict, ask them, what are your motivations? Why is this making you so angry? How can you submit this to the hands of God? Just have those conversations with people. And then read James chapter 5 and prepare yourself to hear James chapter 5. So when you come here next Sunday and the preaching is on James chapter 5, the things you've read repeatedly begin to have a greater impact when they're preached. 
If you've not submitted to God in Jesus Christ, we're going to have a time of prayer here in just a minute. The elders will be up here. Uh, this would be a great time during the closing song or after service. If you want to just talk to one of the elders and say, I'm struggling to submit my life to Jesus Christ. Can you help me in that? I'm struggling to submit my pleasures or my desires. Can you help me in that? Uh, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your word. And we're so thankful that uh, we can trust in your son, Jesus Christ, in everything. Lord, my desire would be to see the quarrels and conflicts among us. Lord, that those would go away. That as believers in Jesus Christ, there's no need for us to fight and to argue. There's no need for us to be at odds. But in every one of those circumstances, each one of us believers has the responsibility to check our motives and to submit ourselves to you which means to love our neighbor. Father, we pray then when we speak into the world as believers, that we would be speaking a message of submitting to God. That our answer to every difficulty and every struggle would be surrendered to His will. That we wouldn't speak for ourselves or for our own purposes or for our own motives or for our own gain but we would see ourselves now as ambassadors of Jesus Christ wherever we go, in the political realm, in the workplace, in the grocery store aisles, that we would be there to be examples and lights of you. And Lord, we pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close in worship.